Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com. Woodhill Community Center. Have a hand in the heart of the city. Support their mission with your donations at WoodhillCommunityCenter.org. Toyota on Nicholasville Superstore. Online consultants are standing by right now to help you find your next Toyota. Visit ToyotaOnNicholasville.com. Lexus of Lexington. Home of the best-selling Lexus IS. Find yours today at LexusofLexington.com. IIE Financial is an investment advisor representative with Symphony Financial, a registered investment advisor. Charles Fulkerson is an investment advisor representative with IIE Financial and Symphony Financial, LTD Co. Annie Fulkerson is not registered nor affiliated with Symphony Financial. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Symphony Financial. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. IIE Financial does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Last week in the markets, a whole lot of snow in the northeast, a whole lot of spring break in the southeast, and a whole lot of nothing going on. You're listening to Chuck and Ann on Finance, brought to you by IIE Financial. IIE Financial, willing the good of another. Visit the offices at uh, IIEFinancial.com or give us a call 832-953-4998. That's 832-953-4998. I am your host, Chuck Fulkerson, joined by the illustrious yet full of pollen in her lungs, Annie Fulkerson. Yeah, I'll have to excuse myself if I have to cough. My gosh, I sound like... You sound like Yoda um, while gargling Alka-Seltzer. No, you don't really. You don't. No, No, I sound like I have emphysema. Is really kind weird. of like when I'm coughing, it's terrible. The pollen here, you don't know pollen. You have not seen pollen unless you have lived in Southeast Texas. Yeah. It, what's funny is that like some people who move here, they're like, oh, we're used to pollen season. Really? Are you now? Yeah, no, it's there's you can see it like wafting in the air. I love Just, the word wafting. Wafting yeah, is actually one of the greatest thick, words. A thick layer of green dust on everything and thick and it lasts for weeks yeah well and 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 it gets in the pool and then it kind of turns the pool into this nice milky green substance it's awesome yeah and this week was spring break week and even though we're i i homeschool the kids we were off from all of our activities and all the places that i teach and everything and so we spent from dawn until dusk outside and my lungs are seriously paying for i don't have allergies i don't have asthma but just breathing in that pollen not to mention, we did unload 100 two cubic feet bags of mulch yesterday. You know, it's one of those things. In three hours. And, and a lot of people would hire uh, somebody to do 100 bags of mulch. But you know what? I kind of feel like I've like it's required that I do some sort of manual labor once in a while. Like it's it's in my DNA that I got to do something. I got to I got to work hard. I got to do something difficult to to just make myself feel better once in a while. Work with a capital W. Yeah. It's important. And then we pulled out this, we had this tree in our yard. You got to understand there's these here in Texas, for those of you that don't live here, everything wants to kill you. There's just no question. Everything wants to kill you. Bugs, snakes, including your plants and plants. So there is this plant that looks kind of pretty, but it's this spiky 
spiky plant of pawn palm leaf death it's called a sago palm it's a sago palm and it's a spiky plant of palm leaf death and and, you know i looked it up because i got poked by it and Uh i and i got a small infection my my hand was irritated for a while and um and i looked it up and it it's a defense mechanism from the plant. It creates this like puncture and there's bacteria on the end of the spines. And when, and the bacteria, when it punctures your skin, it goes into your skin and it Just creates an infection. A plant giving me spinal meningitis. And it, and then, so I, uh, when I, when I looked it up, I realized that it is not in the palm family at all whatsoever. It's actually in the, like the pine tree ish coniferous um, plant. It's in family. the cactus family. Cause it, it's, <clears throat> Annoying, but anyway, so I cut that thing down yesterday, and it made me feel good. It's been around since the time of the dinosaurs. It made me feel like a man. I'm just saying. It did. You took a pickaxe and everything. Went. I went after it. Mm-hmm. So let's let's move on a little bit and talk about you know what happened, or I guess we're more gonna apropos. skip over the fact that our six year old asked to use the pickaxe, and you were gonna let him. Yeah, I want to skip over the fact <laughs> that our six year old one. Well, first of all, our six year old should be able to use a pickaxe. Okay, there were six year olds that were working in. In, in salt mines for thousands of years. I'm just saying. They might have at, at least gotten one demonstration on how nope. to use it. You were like, here, Charlie, here, Charlie, pickaxe. swing away. Swing away. I Let made this sure, go into your leg. I made sure that his brother was not around. <laughs> I wasn't worried about his brother. I was worried about him I'm not, slicing see, his leg I'm open. Not, I'm just not real worried about that. No? I figure he'll figure it out. All right. You only do that once. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what happened in the markets last week, or more apropos, what didn't happen in the markets last week uh, as the S&P 500, it did. So there's a technical trading term called. And that's really what the markets did last week. It was How that, exactly do you spell that? Onomatopoeia? Uh, P-H-P-H-T-P-H-H-T-P. <laughs> so that's what the markets did last week. Not a whole lot. Uh, and and uh, and we really just spent the week kind of consolidating, basing, and I really blame it on a couple of different factors. Number one, there was some terrible snow in the Northeast that really just kind of shut the cities down for, you know, a period of time. And, you know, that that will have an effect uh, on the volume and the amount of things that are occurring in there. It's also spring break week for a large percentage of the country, and a lot of people just aren't working. And, and that has an effect on market volume as well as market volatility. Because the, people drive the markets. Yeah. As I mean, simple the, as that. The markets are, are driven by people. But the other thing to consider is there's a lot of uncertainty um, in in the markets. And specifically, there is uh, there is an, an index that will uh, that tells people kind of what they're what, what you know, what's happening globally. Yeah, we talked a little bit or we, we looked into uh, the uh, the geopolitical risk index and it's reached its highest level since the 2003 invasion of Iraq. And when you're trading in the markets, you have unsystemic risk and systemic risk. You have legal risk. You've got business risk and you've got political risk. And so um, the, these these latest rumblings, if you will, indicated that the National Security Advisor, H.R. McMaster, who I, I think that's, that's a cool such a name. great that's name. That's such a great name. I don't right? want him to be out. I love McMaster. <laughs> it's just such McLovin. a cool name. Whether you like him or hate him, you got to agree. That's a cool name. Um, but he was, you know, he's on his way out. Secretary Rex Tillerson also was replaced. Um, it seemed like somewhat surprisingly this week uh, with Central CIA agency, um, excuse me, Central Intelligence Agency, CIA Director Mike Pompeo on Tuesday. 
Um, and that and that came after Trump's chief economic advisor, Gary Cohen, announced his departure last week and, as well. So there was a the lot thing, of like the dominoes just keep falling in the administration. And is it and as dominoes keep falling in the administration, the the uncertainty about what's going to happen with with the economy, I think, just rises and it scares people more. Yeah, I, I think um, also there were macro analysts, they were pointing out to increase risk tied to special counsel Robert, um, Robert Mueller's investigation also into the Trump campaign. So that's just like an ongoing month after month investigation as well. So and I think what's happening is when we start to see the market, sh- you know, I say shifting around, but really not moving. No, we're really kind of just basing sideways. That's what it is. I think it's a lot of let's wait and see. It's it's hurry up and wait. And when you have that hurry up and wait mentality, the market's going to be affected by that. Now, I will say that's this. a military mentality, by the way, going back to like my Navy days. Really? Yeah, that was because you are never like if you're on time, you're late. So you need to. That's why I'm always at least 15 minutes early to wherever I'm going, because the philosophy is hurry up and wait. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you, you know, you're, you're in this kind of hurry up and wait mentality. But when I look at something and, and the, the, the largest index, well, I say the largest index, the most well-known index by the general public is the Dow Jones. And for anybody that, that ever gets a chance to look at stock charts, and I won't really get into too much along the, the stock chart, but for anybody who looks at stock charts, the Dow Jones is doing what's called a pinching pattern. So let me explain what I mean when I say a pinching pattern. Back from the middle of, uh, excuse me, the beginning of February, end of January, beginning of February, all the way down to like February 7th or 8th. We had that that huge week where the market went straight down with volatility. So think about that as like if you think of a triangle and uh, or or a pyramid, and think of that as the base of the triangle. If you had a triangle going straight up, and and um, and then everything else that hap- has happened between then and now, all the ups and all the downs. If you think about that as the base of the triangle, have occurred inside of that triangular base. Meaning that for the last six weeks, we've not exceeded the movement that we had earlier this year in one week. And and we're seeing it bounce from top to bottom of this triangle bouncing back and forth. So the thing I want you to picture in your mind is like a spring. Okay. Um, or oh, even better. Remember those airplanes as a kid, those balsa wood airplanes where where there'd be a rubber band attached to the propeller. You remember those? Yeah. And you take the propeller and you twist, twist it, it and, twist and you it. twist it and you twist it. Now, if you only twist it once or twice, how's that propeller going to release? Slowly. Slowly. There's You're no, not building up potential energy. Right. There's no potential energy being built up. But what if I take that, that propeller and I twist it, twist it, twist it, twist it, twist it, and I twist it for six weeks? What is that going to do to the potential energy that's held inside of that band? It's going to spring. It's going to spring. And that, that spring that occurs, it's going to provide some sort of violent movement. Agree or disagree? Converted to kinetic energy. Oh, I'm just feeling go. sciencey this here's morning. Here's my sciencey engineer <laughs> wife. So, so all of this potential energy gets converted to kinetic energy, which then makes the thing go and kids are happy all over the world. No, but the point is, is that we are in the markets we are building up this potential energy by being in this triangular base pattern. We're seeing the markets uh, tightening up 
inside of this little range. And where is it going to go? It's going to move. It's going to move with a violent movement. The question is, which direction is that violent movement going to occur? Because if that violent movement occurs to the upside, then the whole world will start talking about, oh, how great the market is, and woohoo, we're back to all-time highs. And if the market breaks off to the downside, then people are going to freak out and they're going to lose their minds. And either way, shouldn't really matter as long as you have a good, solid investment plan in place. Now, it may affect your paper uh, it, it may affect your paper values of your portfolio, but if you don't close out when it's down, uh, then it's not going to affect your real gains and losses until you until you close out of that position. Same thing if it goes up, it may it may affect it on paper, but not the real one. The question is, when are you going to affect the value of your portfolio by knowing, you know, when do I get out of the positions? Every good investment should have a good exit strategy and a violent movement in the market shouldn't necessarily affect your long-term plans so long as you have a solid exit strategy in place. So we've talked about the potential for the market to move one way or the other and that it shouldn't matter, but let's take a look at some of the headlines around the world and what they are talking about in regards to the market. But we always start our headline edition with our news of the weird, 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 weird. News of the weird. I love this part. News of the weird is amazing this week. This is great. So we had mentioned that there was some snow last week in the Northeast. Everybody heard about it, right? I don't know if it was a, like, was it a named storm? Was it, was it like Stormageddon or? I don't know. I'm over the naming. I, I think, yeah. I can't even keep up. You know what we named? There was snow. You know what we named snowstorms as kids? Snowstorm. Yeah. And you know, it was um, interesting. The, the snowstorms in March in the Northeast are always the, the worst. worst always worse because the lakes have thawed out a little bit and they're not as cold so more of that that more of that water will evaporate and just give you that thick wet heavy heavy snow backbreakingly heavy snow well that did not stop elsa no, it wouldn't stop Elsa. Now, for those of you that are that are unfamiliar with Elsa, then it means you do not have a niece, a daughter, a granddaughter. You've been living under a rock and for the you've last been living seven under years, a rock, right? Let it go, let it go. Don't hold it back anymore, says Elsa. <laughs> yes, the well, cold never bothered me anyway. <laughs> At a Boston bar on Tuesday. Let's just start with that. At a bar. In, in Boston. Boston. Okay, enough said. We can do we can just stop the story. <laughs> there was a 37-year-old attorney and he saw that there was he. he there he saw that there were um police that were in distress and their van was stuck in a snowbank. Stuck in the snow. Now, what we forgot to mention is that he was dressed as Elsa. He was. Wig. And that did not stop him. Dress. That didn't heels. That didn't stop him from helping. The cold the police, never though. bothered him anyway. No. And he refused to let it go. Oh, yes, you did that. <laughs> that was impressive. <laughs> and he, he went outside. There is a video online of this man dressed as Elsa, wig and all, put, trying his name to is, push. His name is Jason Triplett. He's a 37 year old attorney from Boston. Mm -hmm. And there is a video of him. Helping to push a snow, a, 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 a snow stuck Boston police vehicle. Now, I will tell you on Facebook, it has eight 
million views. You Eight million about, views. Yeah, you talk about these things going viral. This is my, he's, he might as well be my hero. I, I think I might start dressing like this. The next time it snows in Houston, I'm doing this. <laughs> the next time it Please snows. Don't. In, I shouldn't do it. Please don't. I, I will tell you, my legs look good in, in chiffon. Okay. Those well-developed calves from running. My legs look good in chiffon. I, I'm, I'm just saying. I don't, I don't mean to, 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 really, to really burst anybody's bubble, but uh, my legs have a good look in chiffon, and I think that next time it snows in Houston, I'm doing that. So <laughs> let's turn our attention a little bit, though, to some, some news headlines from the market. And uh, investing.com uh, had a headline for weighing the week ahead, a new direction from the Fed. So the idea is, uh, is there any new direction uh, from the Fed kind of coming in. And so is it time for a change of direction in the Fed? Um, because the Fed has talked a little bit about maybe changing gears a little bit, and they came out a bit hawkish uh, last time on rate increases. And so in this article where he's talking a little bit about the Fed, and he's got a number of different charts in here that you can take a look at. So um, it, it says, it says, is it time for a change or direction at the Fed? Uh, and it says nothing in this in this uh, news week has changed the Fed's uh, the Fed's overall policy to maintain gradual rate increases. He says expect also the regular chorus of Fed criticism behind the curve, miss the best chance to raise rates, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and those and also those who do not want to see rate increases, no matter the pace or ultimate level, to be a negative signal for stocks. So I think the point behind there is, is that the Fed is talking about increasing its pace of raising rates. And that is what scared the markets, uh, mind you, still inside of this pinching maneuver that we've had. But the Fed was a little bit more hawkish last, uh, excuse me, two weeks ago in talking about interest rates. And right now, we're not sure exactly which way they're going to go because there's there's been a little bit of both. And so we're waiting really on Fed uh, announcements to talk about which what things they may do. Um, and the the FOMC decision, the the FOMC decision, and Chairman Powell's first press conference will speak a lot to what they're uh, they're going to do uh, this week in the markets. And so keep an eye on that and see what the Fed's uh, what the Fed has to do and what the Fed has to say. And what no matter where you lean politically, I think it's important to realize that. You've got a tremendous number of opportunities in this market, especially when it's pinching, whether it goes up or whether it goes down. Uh, and so whether you are in favor of a, of a more hawkish or more dovish Fed policy or whether you are in favor of uh, the Fed just completely staying out, the market's going to react the way it's going to react. And as long as you have a plan, then you'll overall be OK. Yeah. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about when they testified before Congress about the potential for a fourth rate hike. Um, and and I, I, I don't see them really giving us any indication of whether they're going to enact that fourth policy until later on in the in the year, especially I think after the summer. I don't really think they're going to give any um, any idea definitively anyway, um, whether they're going to enact that that fourth three policy for this year. So I, I think that, you know, when when the market is sort of uh, holding back 
and building that potential energy, they, you know, it's one of those situations like don't hold your breath because I don't think they're going to give us any indication one way or another, to be honest. Well, and, and there's a, another, speaking of articles, another article in marketwatch.com and the article is titled the fed needs an acrobatic sense of balance to keep markets calm. Exactly. They're not going to do anything to, to rock the boat. They specifically said uh, that, you know, they're going to wait to see how the markets are going to react over these at least first two quarters and probably three um, and, and to see the the inflationary numbers and how the the tax policy shakes out and how uh, exports are, are doing um, specifically before they decide whether or not they're going to um, you know, have that, that fourth rate hike. Yeah. And, and Powell has, you know, he's, he's following the model set by Janet Yellen, but he does, he does have a few changes. Yeah. But the January jobs reports show that wages growing at their fastest pace, um, this year and a report that had some investors worrying about inflation, especially, and even debating whether or not the market could see as, you know, like I said, as many as four rate hikes this year. Yeah. And that's what really contributed to the S and P and the Dow Jones really having that, that correction, um, that, that caused that, you know, big fall earlier in the year. So keep those things in mind. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people and there's a Vanguard economist in this article who, um, is quoted, uh, his name is Joe Davis. He's the chief, uh, a chief economist at Vanguard. And uh, and his his belief is that there's going to be three rate increases in 2018, followed by three rate increases in 2019. Now, if you think about that, that gives us at a at a point two five percent rate increase each time around, if that's in, in, indeed what we do. Well, then that would raise our our rates by one point seven five percent over two years, which would get us to just over two, just over two. Let's call it two and a half. Well, in reality, before 2008, we were at five and a quarter. I mean, I mean, it's just we're, we're still not even half of where we were before the 2008 market fall. And so I'm not overly concerned with the rate hikes. I think that they I think what happened is, is that the market has become uh, addicted to free money. And I use the term addicted because it's almost like an addict who, when a little bit of cutback comes in, they freak out and not to not, I'm not, not bashing on addicts. I'm just trying to think of it's, it's a tough thing to cut yourself off of, of that addiction. And if you're addicted to getting free money and having money pumped into the economy, the economy doesn't want to come off of that. They want it to it's continue It's like when you bring happen. home Bluebell cookie two-step ice cream and then you don't Not bring my home, fault. Then you don't bring any home anymore. Not my fault. And we're just used to two, cookie two step. Uh, it's cookie two step by Bluebell. <laughs> if you've never had it, Bluebell you, ice cream is amazing. It's made like an hour from here. It's if, so if you, good. If you've never had it, you need to give yourself that gift. Yeah, that the, gift of love to oh, your face. Going to the blueberry cream, Bluebell Creamery is like. We need Bluebell to sponsor our show. That would be lovely. We got to work on that. We do. Somebody knows if somebody knows someone at Bluebell, call us. Let us know. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so there was a lot of stuff in the news. And I will tell you, most of the news articles this week that we found, they focused on the Fed, right? I'm, I'm at marketwatch.com. And um, one article says it's time for the stock market investors to refocus on the Fed. Another one says what to expect from the new Fed dot plot on interest rates. Uh, the, another one is the one we just referenced. The Fed needs acrobatic sense of balance to keep the markets claim. So the point is, is that the market is very 
tied to what the Fed is going to do. You know, interestingly enough, that was never supposed to be the case. The Fed was not supposed to be um, that tied in to the movements of the market. But over time, that's exactly what has occurred, is that we've seen that really the interest rate decisions and the policy decisions of the Fed have really been tied into what our market does. And so what does that mean to you, right? What does that mean to an engineer who's a father of three, who's 50 years old, that's worried about his kid's savings uh, for college? What does it mean to a 71-year-old who's who's got $400,000 left plus Social Security, and that's all he or she has for the rest of their life? What does it mean to, to you if you're 22 years old and you're on your first job just getting started out? You know, the interesting thing is it means something different to every one of you. And if you don't know how these things affect you, then you don't know how to plan effectively for it. And so what we do is we help you to build the plan that fits your particular style, whether you're 22, 52, or 72, you're all going to have different needs, wants, hopes, dreams, and desires. And so go to the uh, website, iiefinancial.com, fill out a contact us form, and uh, we'll get a chance to talk to you about your goals and your plans. So in our education segment today, uh, I want to turn attention a little bit and uh, and talk about an article that appeared on equities.com. And it was an article actually that I wrote, which is uh, which is something I try to think a little outside the box for what most people are used to talking about in the world of markets. And I think it'd be kind of neat to talk through this concept for people that aren't used to the financial markets, but they understand the concepts of technology. And I, and this works really well for any consumer, uh, really any consumer. If you understand this concept, then things get a lot easier. And it's built around uh, the law of diffusion of innovation. So for those of you that have never heard of the law of diffusion of innovation. Uh, this is a study by Everett Rogers uh, in 1962. It's a social science theory. And he was a, I want to say that he was in, I think he was in Boston University. Um, but I don't think he wore the Elsa dress while pushing the police van out of the snow. <laughs> Probably not. Um, but anyway, he is a, uh, he, he was, he did a social science study and it has been used for literally, I think it was back in 1962. So it's been used for over 40 years as really a key in uh, 50 years. Good gosh, my Close math is to horrible. 60. I know both of our brains, I think, are stuck in like 2000 and they never advanced beyond no. that. Well, it's like I heard somebody say one time, like, what was it? What was it like to live around the turn of the century? And and I was like, I don't know. I'm, I'm obviously not that old. And I thought, oh, wait a minute. Oh, yes, I am. I know. There's teens who are like, what was it like to, to live at the turn of the century? Ah! Like, oh, my God, we're old. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the turn of the century. But anyway, um, so 1962, from then until today, there have been hundreds, if not thousands of companies that understand this. And what you've got to do is, and this is going to fit right into your wheelhouse, you've got to think about standard normal distribution, right? So the bell curve of normal distribution. And when you think about the area underneath a bell curve, do you want to explain this? Cause you're smarter than me. Well, I mean, if you just, if, if people haven't seen a bell curve, like it's, <clears throat> it starts out really, really, it's a graph and it starts out low on one side and it rises just like a mount, like a hill. And then it comes back down the other side and it's a mirror image, a picture, just a hill, but it's, it's the profile of a hill of a graph. Yeah. And if you cut it in half, Right. 50 percent on the left and 50 percent on the right. That's the area. Well, one standard deviation 
represents 68% of the area under the graph. 34% from the middle to the left and 34% to the middle to the right, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really kind of the way that it's, that it's split up. And then two standard deviations and three and four and so and so and so on. Well, the idea behind the, 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 the law of diffusion of innovation is that in any product's new release, only about two and a half percent of the people that utilize a product are going to be what are called the innovators. And these are people that have to be first. They've got to be first. They were the first in line to buy Google glasses, right? They bought Google glasses immediately as soon as they came out. And by the way, do you know anybody who's bought Google glasses since then? No. Me either. Because Google Glasses never took off. A lot of things that innovators get into never take off because it's only a small group. So, and they, they would be found at each end of the spectrum, each end of the spell curve. Right. So the, the innovators, the, the first two and a half percent, they, they, they want to be first in line to get everything. And for them, it's not about getting the best price. It's not about, it's about being first. It's not even about getting the best technology because typically in technology, the first things that come out aren't as good as what comes out later. Um, but they are, they've got to be first. They got to get it first. Now, the next group, the 13.5% is called the early adopters. Now, the early adopters, they come in after the innovators have already gotten through. So the, so the, the early adopters are the ones they want to get in, but they, they're not going to jump in until they know somebody else has already started to move the needle. And those innovators start moving the needle and then the early adopters jump in. And once again, there are so many products that innovators have jumped in, early adopters get started, and then it fails. And there's, uh, there, there's, there's, there's some, a number of different studies, but one of them is called crossing the chasm. It's, it's that, is that companies really start to gain traction. Products really start to gain traction when they move to the next group. Now, this next group is 34%. They're called the early majority. So you got to think, the first 2.5% are the innovators, the next 13.5% are the early adopters, the next 34% are the early majority. The difference between the 13.5% and the 34%, that's the chasm. For, a, for something to gain market momentum, it has to cross the chasm. TiVo never crossed the chasm. That's what happened with TiVo, right? Now, people use DVR all the time, but, they were, but TiVo is an example of a company that was never able to cross the chasm. It couldn't get from the early adopters to the early majority. It stopped at the early adopters. You know, in our own family, we have an innovator, we have early adopters, and we have the early majority. Your mom... Oh, she's an innovator. She's an innovator. She always wants to get in She always wants to get in on the, the newest things and... Even though we're relatively tech tech savvy, your mom ends up finding these really cool like tech gadgets and some of them take off and some of them don't. But like I remember several years ago, she bought us our first Alexa. Yeah. Right. I didn't even know what the heck it did. And now we use it all the time. We use it for our morning briefing, for the weather, to play music, like well, all this kind I, of and stuff. And I would even say that that we are <clears throat> I would consider us early adopters. Yeah. Um it has not. And Alexa is a great example. Amazon Alexa is one of those things that maybe is just now crossing the chasm, mm-hmm. right? Making it into the early majority because basically Amazon's losing money on every Alexa that they give away. They might as well just be giving them away at the price they're selling them yeah. because it helps the link to all of their other products. But that's a great example of once it reaches that early majority, then it gains momentum. Now, after the early majority comes the late majority, Right. This, these are the people that are not going to go get the newest iPhone. Matter of fact, the, the iPhone X just came out. Well, they're on the iPhone 5. 
At least they have an iPhone, but it's the iPhone 5. Well, after the late majority are the laggards. The laggards still have flip phones or they've got a rotary phone. Like they're just not interested. They only get they only move because they have to. And the like laggards. No, I wouldn't call your dad a laggard. I'd call him late majority. Right. Your dad would be late majority. Well, I don't know. He only took our phone because he took your free. old phone because it was free. And because and he, my last old phone and your last old phone, actually my last old yeah. phone and and your and this your last old phone for this time. Yeah, but the but the point is is that is that by the time the late majority and the laggards have come in, then then everybody knows about it. There's nothing special about it. It's just it is what it is. And the laggards get in because they have to, not because they want to. Mm-hmm. Because software stops getting updated or right. batteries start failing. Or. So what in the world does that have to do with the markets? Well. You know, I took a look at, and in this article that I wrote, we took a chart of NVIDIA. And I took NVIDIA from 2007 until today. And I overlaid innovators, early adopters, early majority, and late majority. So the, if, if, the stock market were, if the stock market were a battlefield, it would be littered with the dead bodies of innovators and, <laughs> and companies that, that just get started up and it's supposed to be the newest thing, right? This is where people are like, well, penny stocks are the thing because they, want, they all want to be innovators. And you have to have innovators to kickstart anything. I got that. But if, the, but if the market were a battlefield, it would be littered with the dead bodies of innovators that could never take off. It would also then be, be littered with early adopters that just couldn't gain momentum. They couldn't gain traction. So as prices of the company starts to go up, you start to get those early adopters coming in. It's not until the early majority comes in. Now, the key, the key to that early majority is... An increase in volume of shares being traded. Um, if you look on the article that I had posted, and we'll put a link to this on our Twitter page, um, but the the early majority is characterized by an increase of volume. Now, price is going up during the innovators and during the early adopters phase, but the early majority phase is characterized by an increase in volume. It may not even have a huge surge in price, but the sheer increase in volume is a huge bet as to where that stock may be going. And when we look at the increase in volume on that stock, then that's something I think that people should pay particular attention to is when the volume tends to jump on a stock before it makes its gigantic move higher. And so you want to combine this when you're doing your analysis for an investment. You want to combine this with a good fundamental example, a solid company that has good market share, good fundamentals, is positioned in a new industry. And so there's got to be other things in place when you're looking at these companies. But the, the goal here is not to be an innovator, because as an investor, if you're trying to be an innovator, you might catch lightning in a bottle once in a while. But in my opinion, you're going to lose over time more than you're going to win. Even jumping in as an early adopter has a certain amount of risk to it. When you can recognize when a stock has reached its early majority, then I think that that gives you a significantly better opportunity, um, you know, than than just hoping by being an innovator. And so there's a couple of questions you got to ask yourself. Number one, is the price rising on increased volume? 
I want the rising price and I want it on increased volume because the increased volume that contributed to the price surge is going to help to show that the early majority is piling on. Number two, are the fundamentals strong enough to support the late majority propelling the run because it's really going to move once the late majority gets in. They're the ones that are going to jump in afterwards. And if you think about a stock like NVIDIA, NVIDIA was a $20 a share stock a little bit ago, and now it's continuing to just run high. And that stock, I mean, think about it, thinking about NVIDIA for a minute, NVIDIA being used so much in like the gaming industry has become a darling of the market getting in before the late majority piles in. Now, by the way, I'm not saying there's not room for NVIDIA to keep going up. Uh, I'm also not saying that, that, that it's time to buy NVIDIA. You need to figure out your own risk profile. But the thing to pay attention to in something like NVIDIA or in any stock is how do I find it as early as I can? So if you get a chance, make sure you read the rest of that article. Uh, there's a couple, there's two more things that are, that are listed in the article as things that are important to look at uh, for, uh, for finding this this early majority before it happens. So take a look at it and tell me what you think. I'd love to hear your comments. So let's not forget to mention something very, very important that happened last week. And no, it's not just NCAA tournament madness, although a 16 seed beat a one seed. Did you hear about that? No, but I'm I'm not so surprised about those kinds of things anymore. It used to be a big deal. Okay, that's the first time in 195 games. They were 195 and 0 against 16 seeds. Well, I don't really follow basketball. I'm thinking more of like football, like when, you know, the, yeah. uh, you know, like teams beat the when there's like mega, mega upsets. And I think it's just like, the I think this was dispersion a dispersion of talent. This is a big deal. And that was a big story last week. But there was another one that was big. What was that? St. Patrick's Day. Oh, of course. St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Everyone's Irish. <laughs> when on everybody decides to be Irish. <laughs> yes, everybody's Irish. I, well, I used to live in Syracuse and in Syracuse, I think it was called Tipperary Hill. Um, we would go to Tip Hill and there was, you know, when you look at a uh, when you look at a uh, uh, stoplight, right? The stoplight, the reds on the top, mm -hmm. green, red, yellow, green. Mm -hmm. Theirs are upside down. Greens on the top. Really? Because it's Irish. Oh, that would freak me out. Yeah, Tipperary Hill, the green ones are on the top. So the stoplights are, are, are backwards, and they, like, they closed, at least when I lived there, they closed down an entire street and served nothing but green beer. And so in the morning, at like 8.30 in the morning, you're drinking green beer with eggs and corned beef and hash. I can't wait to have corned beef this evening. I'm in my, I'm, I gotta tell I'm, you. I'm too, I'm too old for that. I just couldn't hang anymore. I'd be a problem. <laughs> like I'm pushing 40 and green beer just wouldn't work for me. But this no. is, you know, it's funny because there's definitely more people in America that's, that celebrate St. Patrick's Day than have ever lived in the country of Ireland. Is that true? Oh yeah. Yeah. No question. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. The Irish are like, who cares? <laughs> we a had day. a really nice time at a over the weekend at a a friend's house. They they invited us over for um the St. Patrick's Day festivities. It was, and but here's he the problem. brews he, his own beer. He, he he brewed amazing beer. Um, and he brewed an amazing uh cream ale stout. Um, but then boiled a beautiful corned beef that I, I watched it being sliced open and my mouth was salivating because I have given up something for Lent that is one of the hardest things on the planet for me to give up. It's eating anything with four legs and a mother. That's right. All, oh. red meat. 
already think about it if it has four legs and a mother i can't eat it and that requires me to give up pork beef goat and lamb and because you're doing it and i the kids are like mom can we just have a burger yeah and because i'm cooking for the family because you gave it up i'm not making a separate meal for you and so pretty much the whole rest of the family has given up red meat as well listen i told you i'm good i can just eat i could just eat my plate what eat vegetarian you yeah can't, you can't do that i i you need some sort of protein. i am ethically opposed to being vegetarians <laughs> i am that broccoli can't even escape <laughs> like at least my cow can fight back it's got horns <laughs> that broccoli can't even defend itself and you're gonna eat it you can't handle it if you're a vegetarian why are you eating all the animals food so you can't so you can't eat any no red meat whatsoever. So we got to eat the corned beef and the kids ate the heck out of it yesterday. Oh, yeah. They thought it was amazing. It was wonderful. So but that's also not the biggest thing I wanted to talk about. So it, but it made me think because it was it was March 17th. And this year, what happens on April the 17th? Tax day. Yep. Tax day. April 17, not April 16th is the deadline for filing your 2017 tax return. So uh, a really good article on investors.com under the personal finance section, talking about how uh, the tax reform can impact your tax bracket and your rate. And I know nobody likes to talk about taxes, but we do have to think about it for a couple of minutes. Um, We're going to take a little bit of a different spin this week because we did talk about taxes last week and hopefully we didn't bore people too, too badly. um, And they did find some things helpful, but we're going to take a little bit of a different spin this, this week because um, earlier um, in the show, we, we talked about, making sure that you work with your investment advisor on how you are realizing your gains and also what investment vehicles are you using to try and take the best advantage of the tax system. Because like, you can get into some um, some investments that will cause you to pay significantly higher taxes than if you used another vehicle where you could have gotten the same exact returns, but you could realize a much, much less um, tax burden. And so we're going to kind of take it from from that perspective um, this week on this particular segment. And so it does have to do with the old bracket versus the new bracket um, and where you might fall. So we'll talk a little bit about that, but also um, just in terms of planning and have, you know, are you aware of these things? And if not, do you have, you know, are you working with your, um, an investment advisor you trust in order to, to go through, uh, the, 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 the different options for investment vehicles to work the best for you? Yeah. And so what that really comes down to, and she's got a great point is it comes down to how do I, how do I effectively claim my taxes? And so this article has a really good picture of the old versus the new tax brackets. And here's what I want to point out. So there's a tax bracket right there in the middle, and it's a pretty big one. And I think it encompasses a lot of our listeners, but it's the 82,000, um, 82,501 to 157,500. Now this is for single for married filing jointly. That same tax bracket is 77, um, excuse me, 165 to 315, um, for married filing jointly. 165 to 315. Now, um, but let's just stick with a single, which makes things easy. 
it's a 24% tax break tax rate if you're at 82,501 to 157,500. So let's just say for the sake of argument we're going to look at two income amounts, 157,000 and 158,000. So if you have if you make $157,000 one year, now mind you this is your income. So this might include some of your investments you're going to be in the 24% tax bracket, which means at 157,000 in the 24% tax bracket, you're going to pay $37,680 in taxes by being in that 24% tax bracket. But let's say that you have an investment that you close at the end of the year and you don't leave it in, in, you know, in paper, if you will, and it pushes your income up to 158. Well, at 158, you're in the 32% tax bracket. So at the 32% tax bracket, you are at $50,560. So you go from $50,560 is your new tax bracket, whereas before you were in 37,680. Now I know that's a lot of math, but let me just make it clear. The difference is $12,880. You save yourself if by by just waiting to sell that position until the beginning of the next year, you could change your tax bracket and save yourself over 12 grand. It's $12,880 in difference between making $157,000 and $158,000. So at $158,000, if you don't have enough deductions to get you back underneath that 157.5, then this tax bracket becomes big. And this the reason that I point this one out is because it's such a big jump. Like our tax brackets, if you just read them off, it's 10%, 12%, 22%, 24%. So between 38,700 and 825 is 22%. Below 38 grand is 12%. So there's a big jump there, a 10% jump. But then after that, the next jump is only 2%. Um, and then it's eight. So that that 8% jump from 157.5 to 157.501, that's a huge impact. And so if you don't have a good accountant that can help you to understand how to make those deductions at the right time, that can affect you. The other thing you may want to do is look to see, you know, how is my investment going to be a capital gain? If it's a long-term capital gain, it's going to be taxed as ordinary income. If it's a short-term capital gain, excuse me, short-term capital gain is going to be taxed as ordinary income. A long-term capital gain, if you can get it in that tax, is significantly better because if you make under 425 grand a year, your long-term capital gains is only 15%. So at 15%, you're going to be way better off than, than, than that much, much higher tax bracket. So knowing when and how to close your positions is important. And that's why you got to work with an advisor or some, uh, an advisor and a tax accountant and somebody who understands how closing of your investment positions will affect where you are in taxation. Very different than I think uh, uh, the way a lot of people look at it. And I think, too, uh, not just when to close out of positions and when to get into positions, but also the the specific type of investment to get into. You know, if you're looking at saving for your children or your children's children, there are investment vehicles that can skip a generation and investment vehicles that can avoid probate. Um, there, there are lots of different investment vehicles that can that can help you not just 
blanket, you know, pay tons and tons of taxes unnecessarily. And it's all legal. You know, it's not we're not skirting any corners, but these are tools that are available to you. Um, But you need to work with the right, you know, the right kind of trusted person in order to take care of yourself and take care of your, you know, your family and be a good steward of the money that's in your account. Yeah. Build yourself a mastermind team, a team of people that you know and that you can trust that are going to help you to get to where you want to be and going to help your family to get the goals and things that they need, whether it's a, a financial advisor, a tax accountant, an attorney, um, you know, all of those people are, should be trusted advisors, uh, that help your family achieve the goals that you have set in place. There's something big though, that we need to talk about today. Something that is brewing and something that is coming at the end of April. That is life changing. Do you know what it is? Marvel's Avengers Infinity I'm, War. I'm so excited. They re- <laughs> so they released a new trailer. Uh, what was it? A couple of days ago. Last week, they released a new trailer and it was like four minutes long. Now, a lot of people would think that you are a dork if you watch trailers on YouTube because you've nothing better to do. And a lot of people like go to movies and they see these movies and they're like, oh, look, a new trailer. And it's the first time they've seen it. Nope. I'm one of those dorks that watch them on YouTube when they first come out. And it is awesome. You know what I love about it the most is the music. Yeah, the music just... Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like it's one of those ones that kind of makes you tingle a little bit. It does. It, it looks so cool. Yeah. Well, see, but I'm I I, I am a I'm a self-proclaimed dork. I don't like to watch any movies based in reality. None. I want to watch movies that are completely made up that can never happen because I think movies are a good time to escape reality, which is why the Oscars don't do it for me because they use a bunch of reality based bleh, movies. And that's just me. Not everybody has my opinion, but the point being, so I like what was the first 2008? I think was when the first Iron Man movie came out. And is as, it that long ago? It's it 10 was. Years ago? It's been something like that. Wow. And I remember thinking, oh, because growing up, Iron Man, Thor, they were like B level heroes, maybe even C. Mm. Were they a- on par with Aquaman? They were not quite as sucky as Aquaman. <laughs> Aquaman sucks. Um, no, like the A-level heroes. So growing up as a kid, the A-level heroes were Superman, Superman Batman, Batman, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. They were top of the list. Mm-hmm. X-Men were A-level heroes. Superman, Spider-Man, Batman, X-Men were A-level heroes. Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, they were in there as well. Green Lantern was, because, but then they made that terrible Ryan Reynolds movie and he just fell off a cliff. Mm-hmm. But... Those like Thor and Iron Man were like, eh. even the Incredible Hulk was was a, was a was a better hero than than Iron Man and Thor and Captain America was like, ah, who's this dude with a shield? And then they made the movies. And now people are like, what? I know you give them a new personality. You put some, or you some give them a personality, a personality. Yeah. And, right? and some really cool special effects and some great music and some killer superhero poses that our six-year-old has nailed every oh, time yeah. he jumps our off six-year-old of something jumps off of things and literally lands knee down fist down other leg up superhero pose other other fist up in the air Looks, and holds it and holds it and and then stares you in the, your soul his <laughs> eyes will pierce your soul. his eyes will will pierce your soul <laughs> when he stares at you from his superhero stance <laughs> it's it's awesome it is true yeah and it's breathed a whole new life certainly and they can just i mean they have an unlimited 
chasm of material oh, from I mean, which they can make well, music. I mean, movies. they've essentially got 50 years worth of material. Yeah. I mean, right. And what's funny is, is that is that in the time that the Disney has been has taken over Marvel, the stock has essentially went from 30 bucks a share to 120. I mean, it's just it's just gone through the roof. And Marvel's a huge part of that. Now, I will say for the past year and a half, Disney's really done a whole lot of nothing. The stock itself really hasn't done much movement, which is kind of, you know, surprising, I think, to a lot of people. Um, <clears throat> maybe there's a little superhero fatigue in the earnings or 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 maybe the you know, they're just uh, it's become more of a dividend play. But uh, but its volume has actually gone up significantly uh, in the last uh, couple of years versus what it did before. So interesting play. I'm excited about it. That's what I love to do. It's what I like to see. But we'd like to take this segment. Well, you um, know what it was, I think, um, on Disney is e- the acquiring of um, ESPN is dragging down Disney. Oh, ESPN is 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 like uh, it's I, I, I forget what the an albatross. That's it really it is. is. It, it is because their their theme parks, their recreation, all of those things are profitable. I, I happen to read through just based on the personal finance class I teach to the high schoolers. I read through the um, the the uh, the transcript of Disney's quarterly report. And um, and that was the consensus was their profits are great for the parks and all the new rides and and uh what do they call them? Experiences, right? They're not necessarily rides, right. but they're experiences based on movies and like all this stuff at all of their international locations and the domestic locations, all of their resorts. The movies are doing great. Black Panther is making incredible amounts of money. Um, they're all of their yeah, five weeks in a row. Black yeah, Panther. I mean, the top unbelievable. Movie. But then they have ESPN. Yep. And it's just draining. So I think that's what's really it, it truly is an albatross, um, you know, in terms of profits. Yeah. And, and, and I think and Disney is coming out <clears throat> with a streaming service of their own and the streaming service of their own that they're kind of come out with, I think, is a very important um, is a very important thing to look at, because right now Netflix has the Disney the Disney lineup, right? So if you have Netflix, you can watch Marvel's uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you can watch Civil War, you can watch Doctor Strange. I mean, there's a number of Disney, Marvel, you know, and and plus all the Disney cartoons, they're all on Netflix. Those are going to come off of Netflix and they're going to go to Disney's streaming service when that opens up. Plus, Disney's going to have a lot of original content that's going to move to its streaming service. Like I can see a number of ABC shows going to the streaming service like for example marvel's agents of shield and things like that i could see that going to the streaming service and so now is that going to be competition for netflix and is it going to be viable i say is it going to be competition i think obviously it'll be competition but is it but is it going to be enough viable competition to make netflix which has been a giant uh to make netflix take a little bit of a bump in the road right now netflix is is trading at $333 a share in that regard as high as 333 in that range. Its volume though has significantly been falling off as the price of the stock of Netflix has risen. We've seen its volume really tail off. Um, Netflix had its big surges in volume early in 2011 when the stock was still 10 and $20 a share. Um, and, and that's really when and you saw huge volume in Netflix. And, and that's interesting because, you know, just a couple 
segments ago, we had talked about your your article with the with the innovators and the early adopters. And, and if you pull up a chart of Netflix, you can see that pattern clear as day um, with the innovators getting in. And then you see that spike in volume. And then you see Netflix go from was it uh, like $25 a share? And then it shoots up to 50 and 100 just within the course of like, like two years, you have a double and a double and now it's trading at $334 a, a share just a year later. And, and I think a large part of the volume being down is that it's just so expensive. A lot of people just can't afford it, right? So there's less shares, there's less shares transacting. So I wouldn't be surprised if Netflix comes out at some point with a fairly large split. If I'm Netflix, you know, like I use the example of Apple back on 2014. Back in 2014, Apple, which had a very similar volume pattern to Netflix up until uh, June of 2014, meaning it had huge volume and then it sold off. Well, that was because Apple went from $80 a share to 700. Well, then it did a seven for one split. So if you owned one share of of Apple at $700 a share, you now owned seven shares of Apple at $100 a share. Well, that seven for one split meant that if the stock continued to go up, then you would have way, way, way more shares as it went up. Well, and now the stock is at $183 a share. So think about it. You, you now have, you now have seven times more shares at 83% higher price. Mm-hmm. That's a nice day. And so I think there's a good potential for Netflix in my mind. And by the way, I'm not I'm not making this is just me thinking out loud. I, I've got no inside analysis to this or no. Nobody's told me this. This is just my own brain. But my brain tells me that with the volume of shares going down, less and less people able to get involved. It might behoove Netflix to think about a split. And by thinking about a split, it would lower that price back to an area where individual investors can start to get involved. I mean, right now, the individual investor who logs in, who opens up a who opens up a Scott Trade account or an Ameritrade account or a Fidelity account, they're not going to go buy a thousand shares of Netflix at three hundred thirty three dollars a share. Yeah. And Netflix is still a huge player in the market. And I really think that with ESPN trying to or excuse me, Disney trying to come out with this um all-encompassing new streaming service on, you know, to kind of pull up ESPN um, in, into more relevancy. And um, there, there's lots of companies trying to make um, apps and websites and things like that where they're packaging lots of the same kinds of materials because the internet is so flush with so much data and programs and stuff that I think companies are starting to realize that like people are getting lost in the ocean of, of, of content and they need to sort of figure out how to organize it so that they can take best advantage of the marketplace. Like our show in particular was picked up by Breadbox Media um, and which is a, a Catholic source for all kinds of really great Catholic content Um in all, all in one place, right? And there's um, people are selling uh, products on there, and you know you can log on with a, a great membership for discounts, and now you're seeing all of this great content in one place. And I think a lot of these companies are doing, are realizing that they're doing the same thing. Yeah, and so when we see this overlap, there's some other plays that you can use out there 
for streaming, right? Roku just recently had an IPO and it went from $15 a share up to 58. Uh, now it's trading about 35. But I mean, there's a number of different companies out there that do a good job of putting together some of these digital assets that investors can look at for opportunities, um, you know, kind of as we head into the market. So hope everybody had a great week. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. Chuck at IIEFinancial.com is my email address, or just go online, visit us online, IIEFinancial.com. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. IIE Financial is an investment advisor representative with Symphony Financial, a registered investment advisor. Charles Fulkerson is an investment advisor representative with IIE Financial and Symphony Financial, LTD Co. Annie Fulkerson is not registered nor affiliated with Symphony Financial. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Symphony Financial. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. IIE Financial does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... We want to help others, especially in places of strife, such as the Holy Land where Christianity is dwindling by the day. But how to help? Here's an easy way. Buying products through the Holy Land gift shop. Every product you purchase at myfranciscan.org slash shop helps Christians support their families and stay in the Holy Land. Olive wood, embroidery, spices, and many more authentic products from the Holy Land are available right now at myfranciscan.org slash shop. The Holy Land gift shop, bringing the Holy Land home. I learned how many people we could help and how good you feel after you've helped others. I know Lent is about giving, so I want to give. These kids are talking about CRS Rice Bowl, a Lenten program known by generations of Catholic families. Children love it because they experience different cultures and gain a lasting impression of the people they are helping. You can bring CRS Rice Bowl into your home and experience the joy of seeing your children or grandchildren find new meaning in Lent. Visit crsricebowl.org to get started. Rice Bowl inspired me to pray more and to pray for those who are less fortunate. The Cincinnati Catholic Men's Conference is back. Tickets are on sale now for Saturday, April 28th at the Taft Theater at CincinnatiMensConference.com or call 513-214-1534. The Speaker Conference roster is being hailed as one of the best lineups in the country. In rare appearances, come see Father Mitch Pacwa from EWTN, the man motivator Father Larry Richards, former Moeller High School and University of Notre Dame head football coach Jerry Faust, and the big celebrity keynote, Baz Rutten, UFC world champion, MMA world champ, and movie star. The conference theme is what it means to be a true Christian man in today's society. Don't miss the incredible day of motivation, spiritual benefit, and fellowship with men from all walks of life. Get tickets now at CincinnatiMensConference.com or call 513-214-1534. That's CincinnatiMensConference.com or 513-214-1534. Thank you for listening to Breadbox Media. Find more about us at BreadboxMedia.com.